previously on the Trade Waiters. My notes for like book one is like it's page 141 and they still haven't drawn a damn comment. Mm-hmm. They're in middle school. Middle school kids don't have anything to say. <laughs> right. Right. So it makes sense that they're, they're just, they've decided, oh, I'm going to be a comic artist. Okay, sure, let's do that. Please, tell me, how do you break into the industry? I want to become a cartoonist. Mm. Tell me how it's done. Tell me all your secrets. And they're like, fine. You know what? <laughs> Miyoshi is talking to Mashiro, and um, she says, don't you need help with how a girl feels? And Mashiro says, uh, it's a boy's manga, so we just need to come up with a boy's idealization of a girl. Welcome back to the Trade Waiters. This is uh, part two of our Bakumanathon. Yeah. 2K60. Oh, yeah. Bakuman! 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 Oh, we will okay. finish this series. Yes. Yeah. So. we're all going to marry each other. <laughs> but we won't talk before then. So many marriages. <laughs> so, of course, this is episode two. Of, in the previous episode, we covered books one and two. And in this one, we are covering books three and four. Uh, and we forgot to do a spoiler alert last time, but yeah, we're talking widely about what's going to happen in 3 and 4. I may or may not mention some tidbits of what comes after that. I'll do it in a non-spoilery way, but in an explanatory way. But this is a manga series that was serialized between 2008 and 2012. It's 20 volumes in total, and it's written by Tsugumi Oba and drawn by Takeshi Obata. And if you want more information about the genesis of the series, check out episode previous. So let's, uh, shall we jump right into our discussion? What about our character revealing question? Yeah, we should do our character revealing question. Okay, so for this one, uh, so what we do is, so you can get a bit better to know uh, the podcasters who are nattering at you about comics, we do a character revealing question where we say something about ourselves. And this time, I would like to know what was the first comic that you ever had printed? The first comic that you've ever had printed, and I will expand that definition to include if you got fan art published inside a published comic. (laughs) That counts. Printed, this means not printed yourself. So it's your definition. But yes, I take it as like someone Mm. took your comic and found it fit to print. Okay. So Mm. I'll start, and you guys can use that perhaps as your benchmark. But I think the first comic that ever got printed for me was included in the newsletter of my dormitory in university Mm. so i was drawing a comic about squirrels that exploded and there was a little (laughs) bit of space at the end of the dormitory newsletter yeah and uh my little strips were featured in there and that was the first time that an external force had seen fit to print a comic of mine i'd had illustrations published before but Mm. And I, re- I remember it. And after that, you know, onto the campus newspaper and <laughs> onwards <laughs> and, then and upwards. the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you introduce yourself? Nope. Who are you? Oh, what? <laughs> so I'm Angela Millick. Okay. Uh, I'm Jonathan Dalton, and uh, I, I'd forgotten about this until you mentioned university <laughs> newspapers, because I don't usually include this in my canon, because this comic has disappeared, and you cannot find it, and I'm that's fine. Uh <laughs> The first comic that I had published in my university newspaper at, at UVic was a parody of Star Trek and Star Wars called Star Gleck. 
Um, I hate it. <laughs> oh man! And I want to see it. I'm so, so bad. don't get to. I'm get so to. sad that that isn't floating around on the internet. No, somewhere. no, this is pre-internet. In fact, I actually tried to put it on a website at one point, but it was like a university sub-site thing and is long gone. But yeah, it was basically just me like making fun of the world building in those stories and trying to combine different things together. The protagonists were these uh, aliens who had, like, a spaceship that they would travel around on, and they thought they were better than everybody else, and that they weren't going to help anyone else out because of their equivalent of the Prime Directive, where they needed to keep hold of all their stuff and not share. And then there were these rebels who were basically from Star Wars who were trying to fight against them. <laughs> <laughs> so good. The debut. <laughs> that was my debut. Debut. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to... Th- Think. Um, oh, I'm Kay Gross, and um, I think probably like I was doing weird like sort of self-publishing stuff in middle school, where like I'd draw sixty pages of comics or whatever, and then I didn't understand how like books went together, so I just photocopy them all, paper clip them, and give them to my friends <laughs> at the end of the year to be like, here are all the comics I made this year that are kind of about you. Um, <laughs> But in high school, uh, there was, like, a, a writer's club called Writer's Inc. that one of my friends um, made me go to during lunchtimes, and they'd do, like, a every month, every other month sort of, like, little zine publication, because the teacher that ran it is, like, really into zines. And there'd be, like, a theme, and he just had to, like, come up with something, and I were doing, like, some obnoxious, like, 14-page comic, and I was like, here we go! Put me in the scene! <laughs> I will take up half of it, please. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I'm Jeff Ellis, and I'm going to say my first published comics were in my grade 11 annual, because my art teacher really liked the little comics I was drawing, and he just basically kept taking them and saying, yeah, can you make more? Like, And every time I had more drawings, he would just take them, and he'd find space for them. So the grade 11 annual, which is weird, because I had the grade 12 annual after, which didn't have as much of my work, but the grade 11 annual, just there were little cartoons just in the margins and stuff. Uh, but most of my work would technically not be a comic because there was not multiple panels. They were like a single panel gag, like somebody getting hit with an anvil or <laughs> having a mousetrap snap on their hand or something. But like, I still would consider that like the first time I really drew a character in ink and like uh, began that cartooning process and got that published. Thanks. Yeah. I had no art in my grade 12 annual because I missed the deadline and the art teacher for the school who was the one running the the annual was a jerk. I went to uh, art schools all the way through so like um, I I assume if you go to like a regular school you get to be like the art kid but because I went to an art school like I've always been sort of like middle of the road like bottom (laughs) like I'm not that great on any level or never was in school so like my stuff wasn't gonna get chosen like you know I drew a lot but I was not the art kid it was it was never like like okay this is actually something that still makes me angry but on my not angry but I'm still like I drew so much why but my improv team in high school they were like we should get someone to design the shirt something fun and I drew every single poster for our shows (laughs) and like I was drawing all the time they're like other person who does art on the improv team who does, like, photorealistic work, you should design our shirts. And I was like, never mind, bye! Oh. <laughs> that sucks. Oh, man. So 
That's why I work really hard, because I'm mediocre. Oh. Oh. Three hours of sleep for me. <laughs> but the good news is should that we... we can check in with our hard-working boys. Yeah, should we talk about what three good hours... boys working should talk, hard. Should we talk about what three hours of sleep does to you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, that's one thing I have to say about Bakuman is that... Uh, Man, these kids, they're going to be dead by 25 if they keep this up. Uh, actually, though. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> um, I don't know if it winds up going into this like later on in the series, but like they are working so hard, Like you're going to hurt yourself. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm, yeah. I've... I, I don't know if anyone else here has like had a repetitive strain inju- injury, but I did a very foolish thing and wound up with a pinched nerve in my shoulder two years ago, and I just couldn't draw for a couple of months. And oh, my God. It was horrible. Like, I pushed myself... Way too hard. I did, like, this 36 full-page, full-color comic in about two months, two and a half months. And at the end of that, I was like, it is totally normal to do everything with my non-dominant hand and chop vegetables with that hand because my arm hurts so much. It's totally normal to just, like, walk around with clutching my arm. Like, that is a normal amount of being. Like, definitely living like this is okay. I'm contemplating handing in assignments drawn with my left hand because I, like, hurt myself. Yeah, and that's definitely happened to a lot of people that we know. It's happened oh, yeah. to me. Yeah. Like, I've mm-hmm. gotten to the point where uh, if I draw for too long, uh, my wrist will seize up and I will not be able to use it anymore. And mm-hmm. uh, on 24-hour comments day, I realize that happens around hour 13. But <laughs> uh, it's it's definitely something that you have to monitor very closely because it can become a permanent injury mm-hmm. that is you will never recover from it. You'll never get back to your 100% if you're not careful. So yeah, these kids are pushing uh, themselves really hard, and I worry uh, about them. I think everyone in Japan right now is just shaking their head at how undisciplined and lazy we all are. I disagree. (laughs) I have a quote. It took me forever to find this quote, because it's like, uh, it was on Tumblr in JPEG form, so you can't search the text. Is it true then? How do we know? It's it's true. It's from the internet, and it might be completely false. Even if it's fake, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to assume it's true. Uh, this is a part of a uh, interview between Naoki Urasawa and uh, Eguchi. I don't actually, I'm not actually familiar with Eguchi's work, but I guess he's another manga creator, he or she. Uh, so Eguchi says, "When you keep at it like that, you end up dying at 60, like Tezuka and Ishinomori." And Urasawa says, "And then there's Fujimoto, who died at 33. They were all so proud of how little they slept—three hours a night or whatever." Iguchi says, and their monthly production rate of four or five hundred pages, and he laughs. Urasawa says, Shigeru Mizuki said he'd hear them talk like that and wonder why that stuff would be worth bragging about. I sleep nine hours a day and look at me now. Everyone else is dead. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say that Mizuki Shigeru is awesome. Well, he, he has also since passed on, but he outlived well, all just his recently, years. though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely true, and one of the biggest critiques that I've heard of this work is that it is the glorification of workaholism. And workaholism runs rampant in the West as well. Uh, oh, yeah. I think comics, you know, we, we joke about it, but sometimes we're not joking about it, where, you know, all we want to do is work, and we work really yeah. hard, and we kind of shame each other a little bit, maybe not. I think we're trying no, to yeah, get better, totally but, you know, don't take vacations, don't take time for yourself. Production is everything, uh, and it's even worse in the manga industry, it seems. And oh, yeah. We've all seen that graph. Yeah. The, the schedule of a typical manga artist. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's grueling, and I do think that whether or not... I, I'm not sure exactly what the author's intent here, 
I don't know whether they want to scare people away by how hard they're working. I'm not sure if their intention is to glorify it, but they definitely do have the characters working a dangerously high amount of time. What's shocking is at one point the editor, Hattori, has them producing 19 pages every two weeks, I think, yeah. while in high school. 19 completed pages well, every and that's, two weeks. Well, he, they, they have to because they have to prove that they can do this while being in high school. Well, I know. They can't it's, meet that. It's toxic. And it's all like, this is all without pay. They don't get paid. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's, uh, yeah. that's a good point yeah. that you brought up earlier yeah. is that they are not getting paid until yeah. it's actually published yeah. in the work. They're in high school, so they don't care that they're not getting paid, but, but they're killing themselves. Yeah. They should care. I see... I, I mean, again, like, I think I have a slightly different perspective from from my time living in Japan, but, like, all that stuff you're talking about is totally valid, but that just rolled off my back. I'm like, oh, it's set in Japan? Of course everyone's a workaholic. Like, that's what you do. You just, you kill yourself. Whether it's being a manga artist or being someone who sweeps sidewalks, like, you just, you work until you drop over dead, and that's, like, the ultimate (laughs) achievement of a Japanese citizen. So I'm not sure whether or not, again, it is glorified or held up as kind of like we should maybe talk about this but that is the story of the uncle character who had died is that uh it's funny because the character originally just assumed he'd committed suicide you know he's like i assume he just killed himself but no no he worked himself to death trying to submit and get his storyboards approved for his next work he worked himself to death yeah Uh, and i do think that this is something that this is based on the movie adaptation that i watched but i do think that the consequences of this do get brought up later on. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I think, think that's the difference there. Yeah. 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 Since you, you've read the whole thing? I've not read the whole thing. Oh, okay. I saw the movie adaptation, which kind of oh, jumps to right. the ending. It's like, right. here's books one, two, because, and 15, 16. Because, <laughs> because already from volumes one and two, I feel like I already know a couple spoilers, which is that uh, Azuki will be the voice actress in the anime of the successful series that they publish in the end. But they will almost not get to publish that series because AG will have the right to cancel their series because he will be the greatest <laughs> manga artist of all time. Um, I just reading the first two volumes, I, I kind of telegraphed that to me that that was going to happen at the end of this series. We'll see. Um, we'll but anyways, see. Uh, where where do we want to pick up? Well, um, let's talk about. <laughs> well, go ahead. Uh, sorry, were we going to move on to another topic or? No. Yeah. no I, okay, I was going to suggest maybe talking about. Um, the new, the other manga artists that sort of, like, emerge in this volume and, like, the way the ways they interact with each other, because I, I really enjoyed how those relationships developed. Like, mm. early on, like, A.G. and our two protagonists, it was, like, this weird rivalry, but it becomes less of a, like, bad energy rivalry and more of a, we need to do our best because mm-hmm. you are doing your best and yeah. we need to beat you but like in kind of a camaraderie way like there's this really Mm -hmm. great scene where Mashiro um becomes like the uh one of the assistants on Eiji's book and they sort of find out that Eiji doesn't do storyboards he sort of makes it up as he goes along (laughs) he doesn't like bother with um meetings with editorial and they're like that's not actually that great like editors are there for a reason mm-hmm. like and they and wind up looking at trouble and yeah, yeah <laughs> they wind up looking at this one chapter of ag's and both mashiro and fukuda 
they they sort of like go over what needs to change here and like kind of act as editors for AG and AG's like I understand I, I'm gonna redo it now this was good thank you yeah. and then he redoes the whole thing in two days yeah, yeah. I know which <laughs> well, I love I love AG because yeah. he was put up as almost this villain character the first time he's introduced he's like oh man this 15 year old prodigy and the way they introduce his character he's like he's got all the feathers sticking out he's just like doing the sound effects he's crazy everyone's like oh man he's this juggernaut that no one can stop and then he shows up in the editorial office and mm-hmm. I actually really love this scene where he just kind of bursts in he's like hey how's it going everyone's like wait he's not a mad genius he's just kind of weird and then he shows up he, he finds the two uh, the two protagonists he's like I loved your story you're so great let's make please please get into the book so we can be in the same book because I love your story and then he calls them sensei he calls yeah. everybody sensei yeah oh. I like that yeah he's well, so adorable I, I really <laughs> see that was the turn for me because in when you first see AG he's just working at his desk and he's basically kind of treating everyone around him like garbage like he's not respecting his editor he's not respecting his assistants like he's throwing his pages on the floor but if you move them he has a temper tantrum (laughs) right and he doesn't call anyone sensei and then all of a sudden the first time he meets the 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 duo He's and I like that. So they have a pen name, and yeah. he just refers to both of them under the pen name. Um, <laughs> I forget the pen name right now, but it was like, it's like Ashirogi or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Ashirogi yeah. Sensei. Muto so he's, Ashirogi. yeah, that's it. Yeah. So he just keeps calling both of them Ashirogi Sensei, <laughs> and it was interesting because, like, yeah, he was set up as this villain, but when he first meets them, you kind of are expecting he's going to be like, oh you're not very good. But, like, he's immediately like, wow, you were the only people that made a story I enjoyed reading. Like, your story was the best story. I want to know more about your process. And then when he takes the job to be... Um, sorry, I, sorry, is this getting too far ahead? But, like, nope. the, the writer and artist part ways over the summer. And so and when Psycho, the artist, uh, you know, goes in to be Eiji's assistant... Like, yeah, that's when this this un- impromptu critique session begins. And A.G. suddenly, like, his armor cracks. And he's just like, wait, oh, my God, like, there's better ways my, you know, my work could be better? Oh, wow, these are good good points. Like, i got to apply this. And, like, he suddenly starts calling everyone sensei. And he suddenly realizes he has all this stuff to learn from everyone around him. And that's when I just, my opinion of him flopped i went from hating him to being like this guy is great he's like he's crazy and eccentric but like he's open to feedback and i think this is the thing is that he's clearly like a a child prodigy like they do establish like he does all this he does it in two days you know he does the corrections in two days so he is this prodigy and at the beginning he set up as like pre-madonna prodigy but i like that he kind of breaks down and realizes like that collaborating and working in a process is a better thing because I personally have found all of my best work has come out of collaboration and it's a real pet peeve of mine with artists that just get super precious about their work and are like unwilling to like compromise or collaborate with people that they just like it's my way or the highway. Um, so I really appreciate that they paid a lot of homage to the, the kind of step-by-step development of making a good manga. And it kind of goes into this uh, this broader aspect that I think is done really well in Bakuman is that they do treat the creation of manga as kind of a as as competitive and rank based as it is. It does seem like a team sport where the editor characters are really well developed. This 
editor hierarchy is really well explored, and the assistant characters are also really well developed. And they touch on all these different careers that are happening in parallel, and then we're like, oh, let's check in with this other person, and how are they doing, and how are they strategically trying to manage making their comics work? Yeah, Mm -hmm. so the other two assistants that were working on Eiji's book are Fukuda, uh, who we've briefly mentioned, and Nakai. And Fukuda is kind of a a punk. He's, um, like... Had he's twice won a prize in the Tezuka Award, and like he's had some successful one shots, but he really wants a series, and he's just kind of like doesn't really take any crap from anybody, and is just like highly critical. Of, he's got um, a lot of opinions. He's yeah. so yeah. edgy. Everything <laughs> edgy. Yeah, he's like really critical of like the structure of manga publishing and all of that. So we get like his hot takes on everything, <laughs> okay, I, oh, yeah. and like he's so funny. he butts heads with um, a lot of higher ups, but it's always interesting. Thing to watch, and then there's <laughs> Nakai, who is an old uh, man at 33. <laughs> he's like, um, my life is over. <laughs> working yeah. as an assistant on the 16 year old's book, and he's just kind of this gentle giant. Um, and he really sees it as a bad thing that he is still an assistant at 33, and he just wants his own book so much. And there's mm-hmm. this like scene that I empathize with way too much, where he's like lying in a futon beside Mashiro in the sort of like assistance quarters in um, Eiji's apartment and he's just like crying in bed going I want a series, I want a girlfriend damn it Um, and Mashiro has to like lie there while this this guy cries to himself and then he apologizes and goes I'm so sorry, like I know you're not asleep it just gets to be too much sometimes and I think we have all like Oh, yeah. Being and I mean I, I'm young, so it's like maybe really obnoxious for me to be like. And maybe I'm being like Mashiro, <laughs> where I'm like, I I kind of get what you're talking about, and then um, Nakai is like, you know what, you don't, and then actually makes it worse that you're saying. <laughs> I really I love Nakai, although he <laughs> yeah. he suffers a lot throughout this series, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and no. it gets it gets worse for our buddy Nakai. Yeah. Oh, he suffers no. more gender garbage yeah. later on. Oh. <laughs> But um, yeah, like I, this, this, we also meet the the only female comic creator so far in the series. Oh, and that was fun. Yeah, <laughs> she was not well written. I'm not too happy. She was like, just like I feel like you could have replaced her with a lamp that had a speech balloon that said yeah. manga goes one way. And <laughs> the only way I like. Um, uh, and I, I the same the same way that she was introduced immediately is like, wait, whoa, it's a woman writing manga, hold on yeah, phone. He's like, just, that's half the industry in Japan. <laughs> yeah. It's like someone told me that fantasy couldn't fly in shoujo. So <laughs> you're in shonen yeah. and step aside. See, this, is, <laughs> this is where I say this is all Oba and Obata. Like there's an yeah. entire shoujo side to comics in Japan. Yeah. And they have one person representing that in their story and then she's not well written. Yeah. 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 Though I think my note for uh, Ko Aoki was like delightfully ho- awful. <laughs> <laughs> she's just like super. Just super. Like I just like I I, I. It's like she keeps saying like oh like manga should be hopeful and like and you know full of dreams dreams and it shouldn't be all violent and negative and like on a certain level I'm like yeah like that's a nice that's a nice thing to aspire to I really I enjoy that message but like the way she delivers it I'm like oh shut up no one likes you (laughs) and I love that she shits on everyone else's dreams (laughs) that's the other contrasting character I think is really funny but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that uh, Mr. Nakai, at least in his debut, that I think was another one of those things that really hooked me from volume three, 
versus the first two volumes was, you know, I mean, maybe it's like I'm biased because I'm like 35, you know, 35 going on 36. And so like Mr. Nakai is someone I connect with a little more. Uh, this idea of this like guy who's been like a workhorse assistant for like five years or 10 years or whatever. And now he's working for 16 year olds and working side by side with 20 year olds and 15 year olds. And he sort of has this dream of being a successful manga artist. He's kind of watching that slip away because all these younger people are like making it further than him. And he's not able to, you know, get, get that to happen. Right. And I, that is definitely something I, I'm like, yeah, I get that frustration of just like, you're seeing everyone else around you, move ahead and you're like you feel like you're just spinning your wheels in one spot um but i did also appreciate because like i don't know this attitude that's in the story of like oh he's 33 it's over the hill which i'm like (laughs) screw you guys like uh, 30 is like a great age for a cartoonist because like you make all kinds of garbage when you're a teenager when you're in your early 20s like when you're 30 you've actually started producing decent work and you still have the energy to keep it up right it's like maybe if you were 50 that would be a time to start panicking if you haven't gone anywhere. But, like, 30 doesn't seem like a time to start panicking if you're in... Like, if you're a sports... If you're an, an athlete, yeah, 30 is a time to panic. But I think when you're a comic book artist, 30 is not a time to panic. Um, yeah, I think the um, person who drew the Prince Valiant comics, I think he started when he was, like, 40 or something. There you go. Wow. There you and go. Uh, Takashi uh, Obata, the artist of this, uh, is 47. Oh, there you go. Like, oh, yeah, and I, I like the um, the comic that uh, what are their names? Um, Ko Aoki and uh, Nakai come up with. Yes, it's a, it's, it's interesting the sort of the range of comics that they have characters making in this book. And mm-hmm. I like also I think it's actually in the first two volumes where they're talking about the audience for Shonen Jump and how a third of the audience for Shonen Jump are female, and it's like they have this very rigid, gender-divided category system for, for quote-unquote genres in Japan. But they know, they still, there's still sort of that voice that says that we're, we're making Shonen Jump, but it's not just actually for boys. The girls read this too. And so I, I like things sort of that are in the world building that sort of question the, the gender garbage that we've been talking about. <laughs> yeah, and I... I um I do really appreciate um, with Mr. Nakai how they always comment on his ability to draw backgrounds and like his draftsmanship. Mm-hmm. Like I do really I really appreciate it. Like when they're there's a period where they're just all working on the panels together. They're trying to finish Ag's work and like Mashiro's looking at uh, you know Mr. Nakai and going like oh wow he's just like knocking in those backgrounds like he's barely even referencing the vanishing points and he's just doing perfect perspective and like i was just really glad that they kind of gave lip service to like this is the benefits of being a 33 year old assistant is that while everyone else is still trying to figure out how to do those finishing touches like you're just like oh i've done this like for 15 years like done done i've done these backgrounds are done but i think (laughs) it could be perceived as just lip service to the assistant's relationship in general Mm. because you know the the primary artist on all these works, they get to just kind of 
not that it's a cakewalk, but they get to hang back and focus on the highlights of the work. Mm. And then they, the assistants, will provide all this really critical layering that turns, mm-hmm. you know, a okay page into a really stellar page. And I'm yeah. sure that assistants worked on this, but we don't yeah, know if they're uncredited. There's no, it's true. <laughs> credited. They're never credited in manga. No. Yeah. At least with North American comics, like, if there's a colorist who's separate from the artist, it'll say that in the book. Uh, even assistants are starting to get credited too. It's yeah. like the assistant in seconds was credited. I yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but the assistant relationship is not something that's really common. So we do have the same. We do have a similar division of la- labor in Western comics. So we have usually a penciler, an inker, a writer, uh, a colorist, and a letterer. Mm-hmm. So that is a little bit different in that it's usually a team of artists producing it and a writer. But the team of artists will handle all sorts of different aspects of the work and. The primary artist will do the inking of the main characters themselves, and then they'll hand it off to the background. So it's really interesting to see how it's a, a different method and a different workflow. But Especially given that it's so invisible from the outside, that if you don't live in Japan and haven't seen this firsthand, manga won't tell you that this is going on. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was, it was bewildering to me, actually, when I was a young person learning about manga, is that uh, I first came across the work of Takahashi Rumiko, who uh, I think the first series that I encountered was Ranma One Half. And I remember being so bewildered. I'm like, wow, one woman wrote all this manga. I cannot believe it. And then they were like, oh, this isn't even her first work. She did One Pound Gospel before this and The Mermaid Scar, and now she's doing Inuyasha. And I'm like, what? How is it possible that one person did all of this? And later on, I came to learn that assistants, you know, are a big part of the process, but... Back then, I had no idea, because as you said, it's totally invisible to the reader. Yeah, I think my first, like, encounter with learning that it was not just one artist or, like, one person involved with the process, there were other things going on behind the scenes, is there's this really trashy manga series that I love so much called Gals, uh, which is just about, like, these co-gals and police stuff. Um, but the artist uh, has the little artist columns, and she, uh, she does these, like, funny little comics about her and her mom working on this comic together, because her mom is her assistant. <laughs> oh. and, like, her mom will be finishing up the backgrounds, and she's, like, working on it. And, like, it was just such a weird, like, I had no frame of reference for it. And now it's, like, really charming, but, like, at the time I was like, that is so weird. I don't understand this at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So on the vein of uh, uh, assistance, something I wanted to just talk about is uh, getting back to my favorite character, Miyoshi. Miyoshi, Miyoshi Kaya. <laughs> Yay, Miyoshi. Um, so one thing that, a note I had from the first two volumes was, like, there's a point where she basically says to the boys and to Azuki, like, oh, you guys are so lucky because you have dreams. Like, I just don't have anything I aspire to. And this is, like, in the context of her already being established as being, like, a champion kickboxer. And yeah, now she's on the volleyball team. And, and like, on the volleyball team, which I'm going to get back to the volleyball team in a second. But just like she's an experienced, yeah, she's an experienced, like, athlete. And then she's sort of like, yeah, but I just don't do anything. And it's like, well, you're super, (laughs) you're doing all this great stuff. Why don't you give yourself props? And then she goes from that to being like, you know what, I do have a dream. I'm going to be a novelist. I'm going to write novels for cell phones. And her first novel's like a success. And I'm like, oh, cool, she's got her own thing going on. Like She's finally starting to come together. And then like in the middle of like volume three, she's like, you know what, guys, I've got an even better life goal now. And they're like, what is it? And she's like, I'm going to devote my life to helping you achieve your dreams. And I'm like, 
Screw you! <laughs> this is the worst! I was yeah. so upset about this. <laughs> that was really, really, really frustrating. Yeah, my um, opinion of the book changed a couple degrees. Of yeah, <laughs> like, the, the volleyball scene as well, I had to make a note oh, and go, what the hell? I was, on, I was on the ferry reading this, and, like, I got to that scene, and uh, the friend I was with, I was like, this is how you know it's quality manga. Should we, should we make sure the readers, un- or the listeners understand um, the volleyball scene? There are a lot of unrealistically drawn breaths, <laughs> and um, very gratuitous, like... It's very, okay, so here's, here's an interesting point. Occasionally we come up with the term the male gaze, when we will either describe a scene as very male gazy or not very male gazy, and we give a word props to that, so seconds mm-hmm. turned out to be not very male gazy, and we were like, that's great. If you want the perfectly emblematic male gazy type of scene, it is the volleyball scene. Yes. <laughs> and it is, it is actually Takashi's gaze, or Takagi's gaze. Yeah. So yeah. it is it is a male gaze scene. Yes. The focus yes. of the story is that he's watching her play volleyball. Yeah. Yes. But I could I was actually in a way I was almost surprised at just how there was no subtext or anything. Like there's an entire page of just like Miyoshi's boobs bouncing around while she's playing volleyball and the last panel is like she's like, "Oh, hey guys, you kept making eye contact with me, so I figured you wanted to talk." And then like Takagi's just like, no, I just, you got like huge jugs, and she just punches him in the face, which they do play that game of like, it's okay for them to be sexist because she punches them after they say something sexist, which I don't buy, but like Not not really, but, but like, And it doesn't, it doesn't contribute to the story No, it was like, why is that even here? I, I think it's because like, oh, we've had, you know, 30 scenes of just guys. Uh, that put wasn't the problem in death, no. I would have been okay with a 31st scene of just guys don't, rather than the volleyball yeah, scene. Don't write stuff you're not good at writing. Just write the stuff you're good at writing, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was just like, oh, yeah, okay. One more thing to be alienated by. <laughs> so, what else have we got to talk about? Um, We're going to talk about the art. Yes. Uh, oh, the sorry, art yeah. is fantastic. Like, I've right, read, yeah. I never made it all the way through Death Note because oh, it gets man. to a point where it's like, yeah. uh, I've, I've had enough. Hey, we get it. You put the name in the book, he dies. Great. Yeah. No, but the, fir- <laughs> the first part. Did we part... all tap out when L dies? <laughs> no, I didn't make it that far. Yeah, I didn't make it that far either. Uh, well, I don't need to read <laughs> it now. No, no, no. no. <laughs> the first part of Death Note is fantastic. Great yeah. story. But probably one of the most groundbreaking manga I've read in a long time where I'm like, I'm excited about the story it's, of this manga. Yeah, it's <laughs> so, like, you have to keep reading. You just need to know mm-hmm. what happens next. And Anyways, the art in Death Note is pretty good. The art in Bakuman is so much better. Mm-hmm. Really? I really liked the art in Death Note, so it's interesting for you to say that. I what stood the, out for you? Uh, the facial expressions. There are some facial expressions that are they're <laughs> obviously goofy and over the top, but they're perfect. Yes. I love them. Oh, I yeah. There are like some like facial expressions that made me crack up. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's, oh, God, I don't know which volume it's in, but I think it's like around Christmas time when they're kind of trying to get uh, the main dude, whose name I have to look up again, Mashiro and um, Azuki to like meet up. And there's this amazing panel that's just on uh, Mashiro's oh. face where he's like, I'm not going. <laughs> <laughs> that's where they put the phone in his hand and he's just yeah. like all red faced. <laughs> yeah. It's just this, yeah. like, amazing, like, upset. I am yeah. not going. Yeah. <laughs> I think they do really well with the paneling in this as well. Just yeah. the mm-hmm. way that they choose to frame certain shots, despite there's not a lot of action in this book. I mean, it's how do you write a comic about just drawing a lot. 
but they do a really good job of keeping it engaging, I think. And a lot of that goes down to the panel flow and the way they choose their moments. It's mm-hmm. it's really a, a standout work. And there's, oh, yeah. like, great body language. Yeah. Um, yeah. The gestures. Oh, I, yeah. I feel like each, each character has their own... Uh, the way that they act, you know, oh, each yeah. character's gestures really come through and oh, yeah. seem really independent AG's, and personal. AG's body poses. Yeah. Like, yeah he reminds me a lot of L, and I'm sure yeah. that's not a coincidence, <laughs> but um, he's also different from L. His weird body language is different from L's weird body yeah, language. Yeah, L is always very constrained, I feel. Mm-hmm. Like, L will try to move as little as possible, and mm-hmm. he'll stay in a very tight ball because he wants mm-hmm. everything to stay in his head. And he perches. He perches on things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whereas mm-hmm. AJ is way more spread out and dynamic yeah, and phew! Everything kind of. is dynamic. He's very much a, like a battle manga incarnate. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm actually like not moves. worried that AJ will do himself wrist damage just because he moves so much <laughs> as he draws. AJ, <laughs> <laughs> don't get hurt. We love you. Yeah. <laughs> and then he sleeps for like 20 hours. You know what? I think AJ's going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> he was born to do yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> One character we haven't talked about, which I don't know if we want to talk about them briefly, is Koji Makaino. Oh, yeah. um, that, that is the character currently holding the spot of most punchable <laughs> character for me. Uh, he doesn't have a redemption arc, so you can you can punch him. Uh, <laughs> I'm like interested to see where that character goes. Yeah, if it goes I think he's, I think he's easy it's, to hate. He, he's easy to hate, but I think he was pretty much just brought up as a like, oh, other people think they can just breeze into manga on their other popularity and you know, <laughs> I, be a I shit did, disturber. But. I did appreciate the way that that resolved itself. Like, um, so at this point, maybe we should let the listeners know. So this was like the big showdown where all of our, all of the assistants now get an opportunity to do a manga tryout of their own. And basically every character now has their own manga story coming in this, in the next, I think four or five, no, the next five issues of jump. And there's this fifth person that no one's ever heard of. And apparently he's a famous rock star. (laughs) <laughs> and um, I think the thing most telling about him is that in every scene, he is tooling around with a guitar or just lounging around. He's never drawing. He's never, <laughs> like, looks like he's doing any work at all compared to our other characters that are, like, studiously killing themselves behind their desks. And he's talking about going on the talk show circuit to promote his manga series so that people will vote for it in favor of these other manga series. And this becomes <laughs> a the crisis. Yeah, the con- this is a crisis for our other artists, though, because they're like, oh, oh no, we're going to lose out to this guy because he's a popular rock star. And I just, because this is spoilers, right? I just want to say I appreciate that in the end he falls flat on his face and <laughs> yeah. fails compared to everyone else who's working hard. I, I also like, yeah. really liked the scene where um, our heroes, uh, our protagonists, like find out that this rock star is in the running and they're really upset about this and they burst into the editorial offices. <laughs> um, very dramatically saying, excuse us, good evening. <laughs> like, that cracked me up. They're storming in there to give them hell, and they are so polite. Um, but, like, over the course of the conversation where they're like, what is going on? Like, we're all going to lose this guy because he has, like, such a, a fan base from his music, and they'll just vote for him because of that, and it's not going to be the good manga that's getting through. And at the end, they're all like... Uh, you know what? Actually, screw this. We're going to go work really hard. We are going to beat them based on the quality of our work. <laughs> Let's sit down and, like, 
hash things out together, even though we are rivals, we are rivals together, (laughs) and we want, like, this competition to be as good as possible, and they sit down (laughs) and hash it out, and in the end, they're all kind of like, no, my manga's the best, like, screw you guys. Yeah, Yeah, okay, see, that's that's where I lost. That editorial circle was kind of fun. Yeah, that's where that lost me, though. That was the perfect setup, like, they're gonna collaborate, they're gonna make each other's comics better, and that should have worked. I don't know why that fell apart. Like, stop being so competitive. Uh, Even if you're in competition, like only one spot, Jonathan. No, but there's five five only, only one number one. If you're not number one, you're number two. <sighs> but yeah, that like scene in the editorial office where like the, the resolution to that, like before that sort of edit- yeah, editorial that circle, like that was a, a really nice moment. Or it's like, you know what? They can be famous, but we are gonna do the good work, and that's what the readers want yeah. to read. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I was glad that that was proven true. Like I, I think part of why I didn't like uh, Kuji was just because. He just seems so, like, confident that he was going to be victorious, and, like, he just comes out of left field. He doesn't seem to have done any of the work, and he just seems so certain that this is all going to pay off. And so I was like, oh, no, like, I don't want to see this guy, like, do well. So I was really happy that, like, his scheme didn't pan out, and that, <laughs> like, the, the, the hardworking uh, characters, like, persevered. So one thing I want to bring up as a bit of a super spoiler, I was really, really crushed that this didn't come out in by the end of Chapter 4. But one of the things that I love about Bakuman is how it has these archetypal people that you encounter if you hang around in comics long enough. And one of the types is, uh, he's here in the profile, so I'm pretty sure, I just kind of breathed through the last book, Koji Yoshida, who does Otter. Oh, they mentioned him at all? Mentioned, so, okay, yeah, they so they mentioned him really briefly. Story, yeah. He is hilarious, where he's a graphic designer who's just like, oh, the comics. He, like, picks up a comic book one day, he's like, these are interesting, and he just decides to write a comic and just submits it, and it gets popular by accident. But he's, like, the most reluctant guy. He's like, I don't (laughs) want to draw comics. This is a lot of work. (laughs) And it doesn't really pay very well, but it's, like, a breakout success because his humor is so sardonic and weird. And they're like, everyone, make more honor! He's like, no! (laughs) So, if you... If you want to keep reading, please, it's worth it just for Koji Yoshida. He's one yeah. of my favorites. Nice. Right? When they were going into his origin story, I'm like, this guy's going to come back. Like, yeah. You can't go through a big background story like that and not have that character show up. And they actually ended up uh, releasing a one-shot of Otter. Oh. Yeah. oh. Nice. So you can you can read the Otter. Nice. And it's basically this Otter in a suit who just says weird stuff. I think he's like a lawyer or something. Really nice. Strange. See, I don't know. I just, I, I, will say that I think, yeah, this at this point in the in the series, this is when I was really getting into it. It's like the competition, looking at the different approaches of the different teams, the diversity of the stories that these people were bringing to the table, and they actually like um, show us a page yeah, of the story, and I they look like different that. artists. Yeah. like that was such a great. Like yeah. that can be like really hit or miss, but it yeah. really worked here. Yeah. Really incorporating yeah. these fake. Uh, manga pages inside of here, yeah. like it, it was so fun, and you yeah. got like a different voice coming through yeah. in each one and each style. Like you go yeah. from stippling and like round kind of shoujo-y shapes to like extreme violence, yeah. Like, yeah. so edgy, yeah. Yeah. edgy, yeah. Yeah. laughing through the blood, trying yeah. not to get their guts everywhere. Yeah. And I, I feel I like that one is them kind of making fun of Death Note. A little no, bit. it's mm. funny. It's true, and I feel like AG kind of reminds me of Soul Leader in its <laughs> yeah. It, AG's work is Crow. Like, it's mm. just, so there's a lot of tells that 
you know, they're trying to mimic certain other things, but it's done so well. It's really fun to yeah, read. Yeah, and they just keep coming up with, like, fake names from, from manga <laughs> that sound like they could be a real thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, no. This was, this was when they really came together. I really enjoyed this. I mean, just to backtrack a little bit, I think the other thing I enjoyed was that the our, our main team of creators kind of settled on doing their own thing. Because, like, that's where I was getting a little shaky between Volumes 2 and 3 as well, was that there was this horrible... Like, thing where, like, um, and, and I think that it's sort of, it, it was suffering for the fact that this romance was tied into it because, like, Mashiro, like, every time they have this meeting with the editor, the editor's like, this is really good, and I think given time, you guys will be a success in five to ten years. And, like, Mashiro's like, five to ten years, my, like, marriage is hanging in the balance. Like, we have to be published tomorrow. We have to, what can I do to be successful, like, in a week? And, like, so there's this thing where, like, their initial manga is really successful because it's kind of unconventional. And so the editors, like, do more of this unconventional stuff. And then um, Mashiro's like, well, unconventional is going to take too long, so let's do a bottle manga. And so they walk in with all these bottle manga pages, and, like, the editor's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Everyone does bottle manga. This is super generic. You need to find your own voice. And, like, there's this awful thing where they are constantly, like, they're talking about their comics like, like it's a formula. Like, if we just mm-hmm. do a pinch of this... And a dash of that, the readers are going to love it. Like, and it's like, again, it comes back to that complaint I had in the last episode, where it's like, what are you guys really saying? What do you care about? What's your message? Like, why are you... I don't know, it just turns me off when it's examining comics as this, like, we're just going to do this thing because this is what readers like to do, and we have no actual voice or vision of our own. We're just going to do what's popular. That really turns me off. And so when they stumble into doing the detective manga kind of organically and then they stick with that i'm like good they like found something that they're into and they just are now doing their own thing and that i really appreciated so i i think Mm -hmm. you had something to say uh kathleen oh yeah no i mean that definitely like frustrated me like there's a scene where they throw a bunch of pages into the river and they're like we're just gonna do mainstream that's what we're doing um because that is uh what is gonna get us to our goal of having an anime made for our manga so I can marry this girl. Um, <laughs> which was just, like... It's such very, a dumb I don't know. Reason. It just seems like a weird reason to throw your pages into the river. And, like, all the scenes where the editor is like, no, I really like your, like, unique voice and you can do kind of, like, a cult hit and something offbeat. And, like, they're like, no, we gotta do mainstream. Yeah. I also um, like that the editor keeps telling them, don't do a comic while you're in high school. Like, that's yeah. a dumb idea. Don't do that. Please don't do that. And, like, I <laughs> think that's just very hard. Yeah, I think it's just well, hard from yeah. them being, like, He could just say no. Make it go to another magazine. <laughs> <laughs> then he'd lose these prodigies, Jonathan. <laughs> and like I say I'm frustrated with it but like I'm sure like as Jonathan has said before it's like a, a product of these characters being 15 because yeah. there are like all these signs like coming from other characters where it's like hmm, I don't know about this yeah, yeah. Um, well I mean a, a good one that comes up is uh, Miho's mom at one point mm. she's like oh I saw the, the copy of Shonen Jump where your boyfriend's in it she's like oh my boyfriend it's like anyway uh, are you like texting him and not actually meeting in person because that didn't really work out for me. Just saying. Yeah. Like, yeah. What are you talking yeah. about, Mom? That, Never mind. Yeah, I, I really appreciated that. <laughs> I was glad that they actually had Miho's mom sort of say, like, this is a dumb approach to a relationship. <laughs> because seriously, like, like, I don't know, this is the one thing that kept taking me out. Every time as I was reading this, even to Volume 4, whenever Azuki and Mashiro came up, like, that would pull me out because I'd just be like, 
what is wrong with you people? Like, you can't marry someone who you have never talked to or seen or, like, how is this going to be a, a foundation for a successful relationship when you, like, don't know anything about each other? Jeffrey, they're on the same frequency. Oh! They're on the same frequency in middle school. There's a lot, a lot of things happen in middle school. No, no, middle school, no, no. school is your best self. That's true. Oh, yeah, yeah. None of us change after middle school. <laughs> middle school, the best time of our lives. Yes. Um. I do like in, uh, I think it's the first volume, I don't know. Like, we should have talked about this last episode. But anyways, there's this one kid who just draws, like, pin-ups. Yes! And yes. everyone thinks he's the best artist in school. And he's a, he's such a jerk. Yeah. And then we <laughs> never see him again because he doesn't make comics. There's yeah. this one point where he comes by and he's being, like, super derogatory <laughs> to the artist and being, like, to the writer, like, you should team up with me. I draw really well. And the writer was like, um, yeah, but how many comics pages have you drawn? And he's like... Um, none. But, and like, no. <laughs> no, you haven't drawn any comics pages. Like, it takes a lot to draw comics. You yeah. can't just draw, like, pretty, yeah. sexy anime girl pinups and, like, call yeah. it a day. Yeah. And, it, and it was sweet at the point where the writer and the artist broke up and the uh, artist, for a time, was trying to make storyboards. He's like, I did not appreciate how hard this was. And you're yeah. actually a really talented writer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I, liked, I liked the twist that it's like, independently, both of them came up with this idea of doing a detective series. And then the editor hears from both of them. And then it's like... like I can't bear to tell the other one, because yeah. they agreed we were going to go mainstream, and now yeah. we're switching to detective, <laughs> and I just can't tell them. Yeah. So he lets them both run with their detective ideas until they both finally find out that the other person's doing a detective and then they team up and surprise the editor with like this great <laughs> detective story. But like, again, like that, I really appreciated that because yeah, I don't know, like as much as I enjoyed the whole manga system and it was fascinating when they're talking about the st statistics and the reader surveys, um, there was a certain point where I was really like thinking to myself, like it's a miracle anything worth reading <laughs> gets created in Japan because it's such a like sterile like survey system like like I don't know I, it's, it's weird this idea that like oh we'll let the readers decide like readers don't necessarily know what's a good thing right so it's this strange idea that in Japan all of these editorial decisions are based on survey feedback and that there's like this weird way of like juking the system where you like play towards the statistics of these surveys like that's not necessarily true. So right. at the back end, that's true. That right. determines who continues to persist right. in the manga. Right. But I think a lot of uh, editorial process comes in at the front end. Right. As right. they determine which stories are going to generate, which stories are right. going to debut. And one right. of my favorite scenes was actually the editorial meeting, mm -hmm. where all of, they all went over... The uh, and it was like a behind closed door scene, which I loved. You know, they mm -hmm. weren't talking to the characters; right. they were expressing their views in private. And you mm. got to see. Well, I thought this was strong, but I thought this previous work was stronger. And they're evaluating the pros and cons and the balance yeah. throughout yeah. the rest of the yeah. magazine. Yeah. And I thought it was a really interesting way of again humanizing the editorial yeah. process instead of this bureaucracy that they're trying to rail against. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, also, also that was also that was a highlight scene. Uh, sorry, there's, there's also a point where Fukuda is sort of critiquing the survey system, and, and I felt like that was the voice of the author a mm. little bit, saying, this thing that Shonen Jump does that my comic is published in, <laughs> it's not that great. Maybe yeah. that could be better. Yeah. 
Now put this in Shonen Jump. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And he's yeah. like, only if, and he's like, okay, you wrote Death Note. You're still number one in the reader survey. Like, there's there's value in, in uh, established creators continuing to make work yeah. through that magazine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it, yeah. It's, it's, but yeah, there was, um, there's a certain point of just this analysis where I just sort of, I don't know. I think, like, I think part of it is maybe where I'm at with things because, like, I've been. I'm coming out of a period as a cartoonist where I was, like, really, like, trying to be, like, okay, what do I need to do to, like, be a successful cartoonist? And then I've kind of hit a point where I'm, like, there's nothing you can do to be a successful cartoonist. You just do good work and eventually people notice. And so you just got to focus on the work and do good work. And to me, like, that's been my mantra. And so, like, to watch all these characters, like... Oh, but like uh, this other thing's popular, so we should do that. And like, uh, like uh, statistics say that uh, battle mangas is like, oh guys, this is you so lost perspective. Like, just what do take it from the heart and just put your heart on the page, and like it will all be fine. You know, like that was kind of my like my frustration with these characters. You know. Yeah, I think as cartoonists, it's impossible for us to divorce ourselves from that aspect of, like, who we are in reading this work, and Mm. I think we'll all probably come at it a bit differently in how we relate it to, like, what we're doing, but, like, yeah, it's really hard to look at those characters and not, like, relate that to myself in some way Mm. in my reading of this work, and, like, how does that relate to how I like to create things and, like, what I'm trying to do with my um, career and my life and stuff like that, and I don't know, it's, it's, uh... Definitely a lot of food for thought. Like, yeah. going into this series, I was not having fun, as the <laughs> first episode will attest to. But by volume four, like, um, yeah, I have volume five and six out of the library. I'm probably going to go home and read them tonight, because I'm I'm invested. And this is showing, like, a part of the manga industry and, like, the comics industry that I really don't know much about. And um, even through, like, sort of some wooden characters and some things I don't really appreciate and like some tropes that aren't just aren't for me like there's there's some gold in there and uh it's getting fun to read and i'm i'm invested like i want to know yeah Yeah, i gotta know what happens to these characters will they be successful like i think my turning point was when the like when i was like i'm not enjoying the series to when i am enjoying the series is when the artist and the writer like had their moment where they couldn't work together Mm. And, um, like, it got really hard, and they actually weren't sure if they were really cut out for this, and, like, try to make it on their own, but, like, it's just not going, and that, like, roadblock, that was when I started to get invested and go, okay, this, this is, like, the first real difficulty that they're facing, which is, like, comics are hard, and they will break your heart, and they will hurt you so bad, and you're gonna keep trying to make them, but, like... What, what if it's not for you in the end? And, like, that question And what do you is, get out of it as yeah. well? I think mm-hmm. is another big yeah. question, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, if you don't get the readers and you don't get money and you destroy your health and <laughs> you don't get the girl because you spent all your time not talking to her <laughs> and just writing letters and had this weird yeah. pact, <laughs> then what's the point, you know? And so it's really interesting to go back to it. And it made me... Uh, I think it's a useful perspective. Mm-hmm. I think we're really... I think we should be really grateful that this team, despite some of their opinions that they're obviously bringing to the table, were really lucky that they're able to write down what this industry is like at this time. Mm-hmm. Oh, because yeah, yeah. I think it's a really 
interesting touch point on the history of it yeah. uh, that I have found really valuable and educational, yeah. uh, and I, I want to learn more. Yeah. One yeah. thing that I want to uh, mention, actually, is another work that I read, which if you're interested in kind of the manga as a broader industry, there's a book that I read um, not too long ago called A Drifting Life by Yoshihiro oh, yes. Tatsui. Yeah, Yoshio Tatsumi. Uh, yeah. That is his only work that I like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like any of his other oh, works. I want to. I want to read some of his um, other works. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just like his other work is not for me, genre wise. <laughs> it just like didn't interest me at all. But also, I read it probably I don't know, like seven years ago. But I remember like *A Drifting Life* being really interesting. Yeah. So for those who don't know, it's an autobiographical comic that is from the birth of the manga industry. So in the Ooh. '40s through the '60s, I think. That's cool. So it's he begins drawing manga before manga was really defined. And, you know, learning how to sell these works and, again, like, the process of the editors and the publications and struggling for money throughout. So it's another really interesting point on this spectrum of manga history, if you want to call it that way. That would be really valuable, I think, to North American comics creators because our industry is kind of resetting right now. Yeah. It's, it's at its new, it's at its rebirth. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I would model it after a drifting life. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, maybe a cautionary tale for all of us. Yeah. yeah, like Angel's saying, definitely check it out. I'm yeah. certain they have copies at the BPL. Like, I'm certain I've seen them around. Uh, any final thoughts? Uh, so what do we I, recommend? I love this work, despite some problems. I think it's a really fun read, and I'm glad some of you enjoyed it as well. I'm going to keep reading. <laughs> I think it's fun. I love yeah. it. Uh, well, I will say that I downloaded and started reading Volume 5 today, okay. so I think that's a sign that I am invested in the journey of our characters. I'd like to see... Uh, I, I want to confirm that <laughs> that they do get the anime made and that Azuki is the voice know. actress and that they get married. Uh, I'd like to confirm that. Uh, I would say that when the comic industry stuff comes up, I think that that's when I really got interested. So I think if you're interested in how manga is made... You should read this. Um, yeah, first two volumes are, are, are tough. It's a real slog, uh, I will totally say. Uh, especially if you have problems with the gender politics stuff. Like, that's... If that's, like, a thing you have trouble with, that's that. there's a lot of that to, to slog through. But um, I'd say it picks up, like I say, three and four really picked up for me. And I'm interested to read more. Yeah, um, I mean, I started off with not uh, not enjoying the series, and end of volume four, I was like, yeah, I like this. So I would recommend it. I'd say the first two volumes, like Jess said, you know, a bit a bit tough, but there is definitely a lot of interesting things there. And if you're interested in comics at all or like behind the scenes, absolutely, you should read this. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this. I had fun. Like yeah. not all the way through, <laughs> but on balance, I had fun, and I want to keep reading. Uh, the only reason I'm not going to go out and get the next volume right away is I have a two-read pile that's like four <laughs> feet deep at home right now. So I have to get through that first. Yeah. I will be yeah. reading more Bakumanathon for sure. <laughs> the Bakumanathon the continues. The Bakumanathon will never end. Well, it ends at volume 12. Not until we make an anime <laughs> of this podcast. Yes. <laughs> and be. hire voice actors that we can marry. Yes. It will be, it will be, the anime will be about us marrying each other. <laughs> oh my. Anyways, um, should we do our shoutouts? Yes. Yeah. I've been pretty busy reading a, a series called Bakuman, but um, uh, another series that I was actually reading issue by issue on Comixology uh, is called The Violent by uh, Ed Brisson. 
uh, Adam Gorham and Michael Garland, and Ed Brisson is the writer, uh, former Vancouver resident, uh, now living in Kelowna. And it's uh, basically uh, continuing off his murder book series, but under a different title. Uh, and it is it doesn't implicitly say so, but it's basically set in Vancouver, and I think it's really giving voice to the frustrations of living in a very expensive city oh, and not having enough money. Hmm. Uh, but then, which Ed Brisson no longer does because yes. he moved. Yeah, there's. I mean, and then also violent crime, which maybe isn't <laughs> as relevant, but there's definitely an undercurrent of like gentrification and high rents uh, in this story. Yeah, very cool. And did you say your name? And oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. Work? Yes, uh, and I'm Jeff Ellis, and you can find my work at jeff-ellis.ca. All right, I'm Kay Gross, and you can find uh, my currently updating webcomic, Lunar Maladies, at lunarmaladies.com. It updates every Friday, or if you want to follow my Patreon, you can get 20 pages of comics every other month. Comics no one's going to see until 2018 if you don't follow my Patreon, because that's how big my buffer is. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, sorry. But one comic I've been rereading lately is Corey Bing's um, Skin Deep. That is a really fun webcomic. Um, she has print volumes as well. It's sort of like a fantasy college hijinks story. And every time I read it, I go, I should be making comics right now because this is good stuff. <laughs> uh, I'm Jonathan Dalton. You can find my work at phobos-comic.com. And my shout-out is going to be Princess Jellyfish by oh, Akiko yeah. Higashimura. I've read a bit. Uh, yeah, it, it's pretty good. It's the complete opposite of Bakuman. <laughs> if you have trouble with the gender politics in Bakuman, uh, maybe refresh yourself with some Princess Jellyfish. <laughs> <laughs> there is a Princess Jellyfish cosplay in my dining room right now. <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> Um, Apparently there's a, a Netflix, uh, or, or on Netflix, the anime The anime is on Netflix, but I haven't actually seen the anime. Oh, I might have to pick up the manga, because I think I've seen like two episodes of the anime. Okay. Uh, it's weird and fun. Yeah. That's kind of what I like. It's super so, uh, shoujo. I love shoujo. I love so like, shoujo. super weird stuff. Okay, so uh, my name is Angela Melek. You can find my work at wastedtalent.ca. Uh, and I'm going to give a shout out to another manga because I'm always hun- I'm always on the hunt for new manga, and I finished volume one of this, and it was uh, a lot more engaging than I expected. And it's called a-, a Silent Voice, and it's about a bully basically, and this deaf girl who comes to his class, and he bullies the crap out of her, and it and then later on he's like, I really have to go and apologize because I was a piece of kid. <laughs> it's <laughs> oh, so this is them as adults. No, it's, it's like slightly later on. Oh, okay. And so book one was just kind of him reminiscing about what a jerk he was to this, this girl in his class. And it seems like their relationship is going to continue hmm. with this dark history. And it was just really compelling. You know, uh, uh, the premise didn't really grab me, but I had been hearing good things about it. So I decided to pick it up. And yeah, I found it a really engaging work. And uh, what's our next book going to be, Jeff? Oh, uh, well, appropriate to our current political climate, uh, we will be reading V for Vendetta by Alan Moore and David Lloyd. The Trade Waiters is presented by Cloudscape Comics. We'd like to thank the Vancouver Public Library for letting us record in their Inspiration Lab and Sleuth for the music. You can find us at www.cloudscapecomics.com, tradewaiters.tumblr.com, or on iTunes or Google Play. And thank you so much for listening.